The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group, where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Tooth Time. This is Pastor Monty, and we are going to be spending the next hour or so going over some scripture together, talking a little bit about things that are happening in the world around us, and then also uh, continuing our discussion of marriage. So let's jump right in. We're looking at Second uh, uh, Thessalonians today, and so let's jump right in uh, to Second Thessalonians in the Christ Factor. So in Second Thessalonians, we're back. We're actually in Chapter Four, and we had just uh, finished a discussion in uh, Chapter Four where we were talking about basically what it means to mind your own business and to be involved in uh, working in such a way that you uh, are aware of your responsibilities uh, inside of the local church. You're aware of your responsibilities uh, and how it is that you live in such a way that you might glorify Christ. Now, in Chapter 4, um, the Apostle Paul takes a little bit of a swivel now as he addresses... Uh, specific issues that the church is dealing with and and uh, starts to talk a little bit about an understanding of what is to come. And so uh, we're going to, uh, let me read for you uh, just uh, a couple of verses here and then we'll uh, step back and talk about those. So starting at uh, verse 13. Uh, but I would not have you uh, be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep uh, and that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
so then also uh, those which sleep in Jesus with God, and he will bring them with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. But the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain so shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we even be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So, you know, evidently there had been some concern amongst the Thessalonians in regard to um, what had happened uh, for those that had died. Now, you know, a little bit of um, context here to understand that the there were many in the early church who believed that they would be alive when Christ returned. And so, and, and we know that for a number of reasons, obviously, because we're, <laughs> because we're still here and the Lord hasn't returned yet. So we know that that's an issue, but for the early church, it was an issue in particular um, because that was, uh, they felt that the, the return of the Lord was imminent. And as people begin to get older and people begin to die off, there were some that were concerned that began to say, well, I, you know, we thought that the Lord was coming like soon. And now people are dying and we're a little confused over what's going on. So, uh, you know, when we look at Scripture, for example, and we see how Scripture was written, one of the things that we see in, uh, as Scripture was written that uh, we have, uh, we really don't see uh, the the Gospels. The, one of the first Gospels wasn't written until around 62 or 63 A.D. So there was the the church. They people waited for a while. And they would, and so as they begin to day off, they begin to concern and say, "Okay, well, what happened? I thought we were, you know, I thought the Lord was coming." And yeah, so the a, Apostle Paul is saying a, basically to them, "Hey, don't you know? Don't concern yourself with that, because those that are asleep, and the term we read asleep is used, those who have died, don't worry about the fact they've died." Yeah. To be clear. It's, you know, 62 AD, for those who don't know, is, you know, about 30 years after Christ died. And they weren't, they right. weren't not doing anything. They were spreading the gospel, but what they weren't doing was writing it down so that the next generation could have it because right. they didn't interpret the scripture that way. They didn't pay attention to some of the clues that Christ had left in, like, the Olivet Discourse, for instance, um, that, it, that his perception of time would be different than theirs. Right, right. And so, you know, there's a little bit of concern for them, and so the Apostle Paul is basically trying to comfort them and, and, uh, and address their concern. But he's, but he's also going to get, so he's given them some, uh, a, a brief understanding of what is to take place uh, when the Lord comes. So one of the, 
the when you look at the uh, the uh, time of the the end times, when you look at uh, literature regarding the end times from Scripture, we don't have one passage where uh, you can find everything simply put down. It's it's it, we don't find that in Scripture. What we find in Scripture is that as the Apostle Paul tried to address issues that were um, that the church was dealing with, so he had various uh, local bodies uh, spread throughout the region, and as he tried to address issues, he would then pick up and address specific issues uh, and sometimes allude to um, the coming of our Lord and the issues surrounding his return and what have you. So what you have to do is you have to go through several scriptures uh, and it's found in several different letters in order to gain an understanding. For example, Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, wonderful passage about understanding what happens uh, when, uh, you know, when we die and when God comes and we have a new heaven and a new earth. Um, right. Here, he's given us an idea of uh, what's going to happen when Christ comes and those who have died and gone before us, how, what will the sequencing be? Yeah, sort of the order in which things will happen. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's important from the standpoint that, again, one of the, the beauties uh, as we come to an understanding of how God works amongst his people is that... Um, you know, the Lord is gracious to us in that he, he takes that which is chaotic and he turns it into that which has a design and purpose. And so um, God isn't really content with an idea of chaos, but he provides order. And so here he's saying that there is going to, it's not going to be chaotic but there's going to be an orderly fashion in which the Lord returns. And so then he delineates specifically what the, the early church can look forward to in that. Yeah. So, so with that, you know, if we go back to the passage, it talks about the fact that you have those that have died and, uh, and gone to be with the Lord those individuals, uh, they're not lost, they're not, uh, you know, but, but rather they're with the Lord. And then when, when, when Christ returns, and if you want to get a full picture of what his return looks like, one place that you can go that gives a, a broader understanding of that would be, for example, Revelation, where you can pick up a lot of information about, about uh, his actual return and what goes on in the heavens. It's, it's quite a, a long thing, but when, when, uh, when the Lord returns to take uh, his church, um, there, it will be announced. Right. So that's the first thing. It will be announced. There will be no mistake. <laughs> there will be no mistaking that the Lord is returning, and he's going to... Just as he ascended in the clouds, he's going to descend uh, from the clouds, and a host of heaven will be with him when he does so, I including 
those that have gone before uh, those who are still alive. Yeah, and the scripture says you don't need to worry. Like if somebody comes saying, "Oh, look, the Jesus is coming back," you know, go out to look for him and stuff. Because when he comes, you'll know it. That's what oh, the yeah. scripture says. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, there have and there have been uh, peoples uh, throughout uh, history that have uh, said that they believe Jesus was coming back at a specific time, a specific date, and even they've uh, sold all their possessions and gone and sat up on mountaintops and waited. Um, a good example of that would be um, uh, Seventh-day Adventism. Seventh-day Adventism came out of the a church. Uh, these people were known as the Millerites, and they uh, Miller, the pastor of this uh, church, believed that he knew the exact time and date when Jesus was coming. He convinced his followers. They sold everything. They went up to a mountain, and they waited. And then when they when it didn't happen, you know, at least he he had the integrity to admit that he had misinterpreted and he was wrong. But nonetheless, out of that grouping, then came the church that we know today under the leadership of one of the leaders in the church, Ellen White. Uh, we have the Seventh-day Adventists uh, coming out of that. Scripture is very clear. Jesus himself said, no man knows the time or the date, not even... I, Jesus said, not even he knows when he's going to return. That is in the hands of the Father. And so we can understand some things that have to happen. Uh, you know, you can go to uh, the book of Matthew, for example, and there are certain uh, chapters where Jesus gives us some ideas. For example, he uh, says, uh, take a listen from... Uh, a lesson from the fig tree. And so there are some things that we can know when certain things happen that we should be prepared, but nobody knows the time and the date. And I guess what is significant here is for we as the church to be prepared to understand that. Don't be listening to all those people out there that are telling you, you know, a specific time, a specific date. Uh, that's, it's, that's not biblical. It's not true. Yeah. Going to add anything? Well, I mean, we don't know specific times. We don't know specific dates. We don't know the day or the hour. There are signs that we can watch for um, to keep us from getting caught with our perspective pants down. Um, so from that standpoint – just because we don't know the time, the day, the hour, all of that stuff doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to what's going on. We are to pay attention to what's going on. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the things that we're supposed to pay attention to are things that oftentimes are associated with, like, extreme apocalyptic literature, you know? So it's like right. the birth pangs is what they're described as. That's all of it discourse, right? pretty sure yes yes and so, yeah. and there are many yes and so and so just to finish off what what the apostle paul is saying here 
in this passage before we move on in more detail into chapter 5. You know, um, he said, first of all, he says to the church here, take comfort in these things. Uh, take comfort in knowing that, that, you know, for your future as a believer, it is taken care of. When the Lord returns, you will rise to meet him. There will be no question about that. And uh, you have prepared for you uh, a new heaven and a new earth. So he said, take comfort in these things as believers, knowing that these things uh, we can we can hold uh, to what's going before us. Right. There are a lot of believers today that are very much ignorant of, of uh, what Scripture has to say and how it is that we should approach our daily life then because of it. Right. So, and... And so, you know, part a lot of that has to do with um, world events, right? And it has to do with with what we see going on around us. And there are things inside of Scripture uh, where, again, there's not one place you can go to, but there are several places that you have to go to. And there are things inside of Scripture that we look to for an understanding of when the Lord is going to come. And it's difficult uh, because we want so badly to have a specific time, um, and yet Scripture doesn't give us that. Uh, right. Remember that prior to 1948, nobody... Uh, remember that Israel had been separated uh, from Israel, so the people of Israel had been separated from the nation by the Romans when Rome finally conquered Israel and, and uh, split the country up. And so the country was dispersed. And nobody knew that they were going to come back together. And yet if you go into the book of Ezekiel, there's very clear passages that talk about the fact that God was going to bring his people back together and they would be in the land of Israel as a nation again. And so when Hitler, uh, you know, when at the, at the close of World War II, because of the uh, tragedies that took place with uh, Hitler, not only Hitler, but uh, Stalin as well, but Hitler's program of... Uh, of destroying the Jews uh, under a false pretense, um, the annihilation that is there, the Holocaust, um, mm -hmm. Israel came back and was given the opportunity to come back to the land of Israel in 1948. A lot of people didn't know or understand that. And yet, clearly, it was inside of Scripture. Uh, they just weren't aware. Sure. So we're not we're not going to take at this time. We could probably do something in the future, but we're not going to take at this time uh, the time to go through and piece together all the different little scriptures that we would need to in order to be on top of things because it's a study uh, all unto itself, <laughs> and and for some people it's a very confusing study. Um, are there things happening around us? Yes. 
Do we need to be aware of these things as believers? Yes. And so one of the things that you um, you can do is you can study and understand things within that context. And I, I would encourage you to do so. And I think that, that uh, Pastor Josh, you would also encourage people to do that as, as well, correct? Yeah, of course. You should study within that context. Yeah, so, so as an example, when we see things happening around us in the world today, we need to be, we need to have some awareness of what Scripture has to say about certain events, or it could become very frightening. Um, and Josh and I have talked about this in the uh, in past weeks about the fact that the United States holds no position in Scripture of prominence. Right. Not as far as we so know. You can, yeah, as far, but as far as we can tell, there's nothing in Scripture that talks about the, this country of the United States and its prominence in the world. And so, but there is plenty of Scripture that talks about Israel and talks about the lands to the north of Israel, talks about Syria, Assyria, talks about the uh, talks about the lands uh, of uh, China and the chi and the and the lands of Russia and all the different things that go on there. And so we need to be cognizant of the changes that are taking place within the world today. Uh, scripture talks about the um, talks about uh, the rebuilding of a temple, right? And the fa and the fact that a, a a new temple has to exist because of the fact that the Antichrist will defile the new temple, the man of lawlessness. Yeah. Yes. Antichrist so is is not necessarily the right uh, term. You can't defile something that isn't built yet. Sure. So um, one of the things that uh, we need to be cognizant of is what's hap what ha what is happening in Israel as far as the uh, you know as as far as uh, the building of a new temple goes. Right. Um, it's it, the, the United States, here's, here's just something for you to ponder. You don't have to be afraid of it, but it is something to think about. Look at what's going on with the United States today and the COVID virus, or actually the Chinese the virus coming out of Wuhan, and how it's affecting the entire world. Not just China, but 186 nations have been affected by this. The situation where the United States is right now, as far as its economy, is unprecedented in history. We have never seen, the United States had the strongest economy of any country in the world, and within a matter of two months, we are on the precipice of either definitely a recession, we are on the precipice of possibly a depression 
like it's never seen before. So are you saying that this is Revelations material? Um, I don't know that I would be so conspiracy theory to say that it is. It's possible. I'm just wondering, uh, like, why you're bringing it up. That's the reason I'm bringing it up, because there are many Christians who are afraid today. There are many people who are afraid for what they see happening around them. And as believers, we need to recognize the sovereignty of our Lord and that his, in, in his understanding of history, from what is revealed inside of Scripture, the United States is not the central player. Israel is the central player. Right. So... And what... And what happens in regard to Israel is central to our understanding. But are you saying people should be paying attention to what's going on with the whole COVID thing, even though that's not Israel-specific? I believe that we should, just from the standpoint that there are things happening which will uh, potentially usher in um, the, uh, the return of the Lord. We may what we what we may be seeing, you know, for you, you you're a, you're a thespian, Josh. Uh, you know, for those of you that have a, a, a stage background, yeah. Um, you know, most most <laughs> most individuals they pay their ticket and they come and sit down in their seats and they wait for the performance and then they applaud the performance. Uh, thinking that uh, wow that performance is good uh, that uh, you know and and they go away uh, satisfied uh, uh, with a moment in time, but if you're a thespian then you understand all of the hours and hours and hours that have gone into learning your lines and learning the sequencing. Right. If you're if you're putting on a play, you understand all of the work that goes on behind by your stage crew setting scenes up setting up the the uh, you know setting up the change of scenes making sure that your sound and your lighting and everything is in place so so that it's so that when it comes to the event the event the event goes off without a hitch but you've got people the things that are going on way before in order to set that up. I believe, personally, I believe that some of the things that we see happening today in regard to, uh, in regard to the United States and its prominence in the world, in regard to China's desire to be, you know, China has stated that by the mid-2030s, it intends to dominate the world in, in every area possible. I mean, every every government wants that. Except China has the means to pull it off. Yeah. And it's interesting. So they so this this virus that went out basically has devastated the world's economy. So are not you on? Just, are you not on the just U.S. economy, theory? but the world's economy? Are you on the conspiracy theory train that China set it up so that, you know, they could take us over? Personally, nobody wants to say that. 
Oh, people say it. People I, want to say believe, it too. I I believe that that's the it, yes. I believe that there's an element there. Hmm. Well, China well, is. You know, China is but, also not Israel, so you know. Well, okay, yes, yes, and and that that's correct. But if you go back to Old Testament scripture and look at the prophecies surrounding Israel, um, the lands to the north and south of Israel right. uh, come against Israel, um, and they set themselves up in order to to right, become. But, but we're not oh, Israel, so China no, we're not. trying. So China trying to dominate the U.S. doesn't really fit into that prophecy. Well, it does. It does from the standpoint that who is the what? Who is the uh, the the sole defender and protector of Israel, and has been for the past uh, since 1948? God through the archangel Michael. <laughs> I will not be the baited. I will not be baited the by United... your transparent questions. Yeah, the United States. The United it... States. Israel. Has... De Israel defends itself pretty well. Well, okay. And who do you think they get their weapons from, my son? I I understand the point that you're trying to make. I think that you are putting too much dependency upon the U.S. I don't think that that's well, true. Well, I'm not. Biblically. I'm just saying. No, no, no. What I'm stating is fact. That it is the United no. States. You're you're trying to beg the question, so no, you're not United... you're not just stating the fact. You're implying that based on that fact, Israel is dependent upon the United States. But Israel, well, I don't is believe it's de Israel's I don't dependent upon God. Dependent. Okay, Josh, I don't believe it's dependent upon the United States, but it is a fact that the United States gives to Israel millions of dollars a year in order to help it to function. It is a fact that it is the lone voice in the United Nations in favor of Israel. It is a fact that we are the ones who supply Israel all of its military weaponry. I could go on and on. I'm just saying that with the power of the United States diminished, Israel would become more vulnerable to those nations that surround it that would like to destroy it even now. Well, so what narrative then are you working with here? Should we be paying attention to the United States or should we be paying attention to Israel? We should be paying to attention to Israel, but we should be aware of all the issues that surround uh, Israel as well. Of course. I just let's remember that nowhere in the scripture does it talk about Israel having a big brother that protects them. I was the first one to point out, Russ, that our eyes should be on Israel. I know well, that's, not, that's why I'm saying the narrative. First, but I mean, in our that, conversation, that's why I'm saying. But that's why I'm saying the narrative is confusing probably for our viewers because in the one vein you're saying don't pay attention to the U.S. These things don't apply to the U.S. But then you're turning around and saying that we should because the U.S. is the protector of Israel. It's an element. Okay. It's an element of what we see going on. You can take her for what it's worth, but I would just be aware of that history. I'm just trying what to untangle... 
it's a complicated issue, and for many believers it's complicated because they just ignore it. The, the, the bigger part is to understand that as believers, we know that God is sovereign. Even in all this stuff that we see going on around the world today, we know that God is sovereign and we pray for his will to be done. So what we look forward to is not the security that we have in this life, but the security which is ours in the life to come. And that's what I, I would hope that people would begin to uh, place their emphasis on. It's just as the Apostle Paul stated to the Thessalonians, he said, you know, take comfort in knowing that you will know when the Lord returns because this sequence of events will take place and you will be caught up to be with him when he returns. So we don't need to feel uncomfortable about the things that we see happening around us if our security is in our life in Jesus Christ. Yeah. It should also be noted that pretty much every generation since Christ has thought that he was going to return in that mo- yep. in that generation. So everybody freaking out about this event, meaning that, you know, I remember we had to have a um, emergency, quote unquote, Bible study when 9-11 happened because people were freaking out about it and they like wanted a statement on whether 9-11 was the ushering in of Revelation. And, yeah. yeah, you know, I, you were there, I, uh, you I, know. I, well, I, and I also remember when, uh, when uh, you know, 1999 turned into 2000. That one wasn't as crazy. But um, <laughs> I think people definitely need to read the Bible through the proper lens. And it's not the easiest reading of Scripture to take and sort of shoehorn the prophecies in Revelation into today. There's a lot of things that haven't happened, um, and Thessalonians, for that matter. Like, Pastor Monty calls him the Antichrist, uh, but that's not really the technical term, right? The Antichrist right, is talked about by, by John. Yes. In Thessalonians, it's the man of lawlessness. and yes. um, But we believe they're the same character. In any case, there's things that have to happen that just clearly haven't happened yet. So, like, where is this one world government? Lucy Brown brings up the one world government. Where is this one world government? Where is this one world economy? Where is the scripture gone out to every single nation? We're not there yet. Uh, Where are the two prophets? Where is the three and a half years of peace? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that – where is the temple? Like what Pastor Monty said. Uh, there's just a lot that hasn't happened yet. And what what matters is we're not supposed to live there's our lives. Has, I agree, Josh. There's a lot that hasn't happened, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on backstage preparing for the event. As is always. I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer that the uh, forces of the devil have tried multiple times to bring about the end of the world by their own design. You know, like Hitler, for instance. I believe that Hitler was working for the devil and that – or he was 
maybe not working for, but he was in cahoots with the devil and was working to accomplish the end game. But technology wasn't there yet. You know, it it was, it was a fairly localized event. Yeah. No, I agree. And then there's uh, Obama who was also working for the devil. Okay. Uh, (laughs) What I'll say about that. Don't know where to go with that. Josh. I do. What, what I'll say about that is if you look at the campaign slogan for Obama with his like face coming over the horizon and the words hope, you know, out there and people are thinking of him as like the last great hope. Um, it's very, very similar to the propaganda that Hitler would use. Yeah. Now, what, for the uh... record, that's not me saying that Obama is anything like Hitler, but it is saying something about where the world is and the propaganda that it embraces because specifically it is needing a revolution. And what, what Lucy Brown alludes to in regard to a one world government under the Obama administration, there were steps that were taken to, to make the United States submissive to the, to the, to the United Nations. But if the United Nations had its way, they would make uh, they would make the United States submissive to Sharia law. Sharia law. This is yeah. this has been the case in every generation, though. In every generation, there the has United been. United Nations hasn't existed in every generation. In every generation, there has been a group of people who has been trying to pull the strings in the direction of that. You know, call them what you want to call them the Illuminati. You know, even even before the United Nations was in place, there was the League of Nations, for instance. Well, the, yes, the League for you, for you, uh, for you who uh, are not uh, cognizant of history, the League of Nations was the forerunner of the United Nations. Which is what I just said. Um, so Lucy Brown says, we're paying attention to world events to be able to answer correctly the hope we have of our faith in Christ. It also makes us aware of our own responsibility to one another. Yep, Lucy Brown's correct. So all of these, all I'm saying is, is that yes, I see what you're talking about, Josh. That everybody, since our Lord ascended into the clouds, uh, there has been the hope that his return was imminent. And that right. hope still reigns, that, that hope for those who are disciples of Christ, that hope should remain the same today as well. Well, I think that the probability has definitely increased. Yeah, the only thing that I would say is that we have never in the history of man, we have never had so many things come together to begin to make it possible for the event of the advent of Christ uh, to, to, to be here upon us. I think it should also be noted that the reason why it hasn't happened, according to the scripture, is that God, uh, the reason why Christ hasn't returned, is because God is holding back his judgment and his wrath, waiting for the numbers of his plan to be full. Yes. Um, so it's actually grace. God's giving grace to his elect. 
Oh, ab absolutely. So uh, let's end this section of our discussion just by uh, we're going to take up Second Thessalonians in two weeks. But let's end this part of our discussion with recognizing that the Lord is going to return. He has told us he's going to return. And we should never, as believers, we should never, ever be in a position uh, as we live and breathe as disciples of Christ that we would be ashamed of. Rather, we should look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have to do a little, uh, something a little lighter as we look at the uh, world around us. In uh, what's up with that? Well, you know, um, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> I I have tried pretty much to stay away from the uh, COVID uh, nineteen nonsense. But uh, there are just some things that have to be commented on. Uh, one of the architects, the, one of the main architects of uh, trying to give advice to President Trump into how it is that things will roll out is, uh, is one Dr. Fauci. Right, and, Dr. Fauci. Uh, yeah, he's an uh, uh, epidemiologist, and so he studies the issues uh, surrounding diseases and and how they work, and so that's the reason why he's prominent. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of interesting. He was asked this question. There are two questions that he was asked. Uh, one question had to do with will will things ever return to what we would be understand as normal, or are we looking at a new normal? Sure. And part of that new normal is that. Are we ever going to feel comfortable um, in uh, shaking hands? Hmm. Is in your greeting is the art of shaking hands gone? Are we going to have to retreat to fist bumps or elbow bumps or hip bumps or whatever? Are we, you know, are, but can you shake hands? And he said, as a doctor concerned about how diseases are transmitted that uh, absolutely not. He doesn't think that it's a good practice to shake hands with people that you don't know. Yeah, it makes sense to okay. me. That's his opinion. It's something to think about. I've never been a big fan of shaking hands, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why I'm loving the social distancing thing. But, 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 but that being said... Then later, in an interview, he was asked a hypothetical. He was asked a hypothetical about an individual who met somebody online, a stranger that they never know. They decided to meet one another, and um, and would it be uh, would it be risky behavior for uh, those individuals to hook up? And basically uh, have sex with some uh, with a stranger. Sure. Hypothetical. Wow. And his response to and his response to that hypothetical was that um, that would that would represent risky behavior, but that's something that the individual has to deal with, and he he doesn't want to. Uh, dictate how people would respond to that circumstance. 
Interesting. So on the one hand, he doesn't want you shaking hands with strangers, but he has no problem with somebody having sex with a total stranger. And my response to that is, wow. Well, he's talking about the morality versus the, like, I'm sure he thinks that shaking hands is morally neutral to everybody, but mechanically dangerous. Whereas he doesn't want to comment on the morality. I know. I know. I'm just saying. No, I agree. It's a, it's hypocritical. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought that that fit perfectly into, uh, wow, what's up with that? Hey, yeah, you know, I, I agree. Um, it's messed up. You know, the local governments are trying to figure out how it is that they're going to deal with the social distancing thing. And one of the things that they've had problem with is, is groups that want to get together uh, in parks and what have you. How do, how do you police that? Right. Well, in, in, uh, and, you know, to an extent, I agree sometimes with the way things go. For example, if you go out uh, in uh, the Portland area and you look at under the underpasses, yeah, there are large boulders that have been placed there by the state of Oregon to keep you so from sleeping. So that transients will not sleep there. Right. Because the the overpasses to the freeways and stuff, those are under the control of the state of Oregon. Uh-huh. So the local police won't do anything like that, but the, the state does. Well, in California, they were having a problem with the uh, with skateboarders congregating at the because they have lots of skateboard parks. Sure, they have a few here, but not that many. Um, but in California, there's a lot of them. In L.A., the way that they dealt with that is they brought in a truckload of uh, sand and spread sand all over the skate park. It makes sense. That uh, people could not uh, participate, and that took care of that problem. Yeah, that makes sense. That would destroy your boards. Yeah, I, I applaud them for their creativity. Yep. Here's, uh, here's another weird one. There was a, uh, a mother uh, in uh, Australia, Bris- Brisbane, Australia, that she was buying a a, um, a a book, a diary for her daughter, a Frozen Two Diary. Mm-hmm. For those of you that you know have small children, you know they they have these diaries that can kind of have a a storyline uh, running throughout them uh, in regard to Frozen Two. So you can buy these Frozen Two diaries. So she went for her daughter's fifth birthday she went to kmart to buy a diary for her daughter right right when she went when she got it home she was showing it to her sister i believe and her daughter was or the mother was the mother was showing what she got her daughter got it before they wrapped it up and and gave it to the daughter okay and inside inside of the frozen two diary that the mother bought there were um there were uh specific lists uh, for uh sex toy shopping like somebody uh, like somebody had filled it out or like it was printed that way it was printed that way 
Oh wow! And there and there was a checklist for um, uh, sexual positions. Oh yeah, I can see it right here. I'll post it. Yeah, yeah. So and her, um, she had a, a another relative that bought the same diary from Kmart uh, for their child, and it didn't have anything like that. So 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 I, that's kind of weird, huh? Yeah, somebody snuck something I mean, in there. I, I think that that and so that's a good reminder that whenever you buy something uh, from the store for your child, good idea for you to read through it and make sure what's there. Because this is not the first time I've heard of stuff like this happening. Right. And Kmart didn't know what to do with it, so they they basically pulled everything off of the shelf and then went back to the manufacturer and said, what's up with that? There's some pretty interesting things on this, pretty interesting things on this list. That's quite, yeah, that's quite a list, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, this is a five-year-old child. So would she have been able to understand any of this? Uh, no. Still. I mean, my five-year-olds well, would, but. Well, right. But I mean, they're still learning how to read. My point is, uh, you know. I guess. I don't know that many five-year-olds that are proficient in reading. Some five... <laughs> wow. I'm just thinking about Michael Scott. He said, like, uh, I learned to read when I was five before I could even walk or something like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, we're talking about the majority, not the minority. We're not talking about a savant or... Something I don't like think that. it's I, I I don't think it's a savant thing. I think it's uh, low standards. That's all. Like you know how there's kids that are like no offense to our listeners out there, but if your kid is four years old and they're telling you that they have a grumper in their diaper, that's a problem. Come on, if you're yeah, like yeah, you, can, you can you can you can potty there, train a child no right question. out the womb. There is no question the kids today. Uh, have a little bit of a sophistication to them that was not present even 10 or 15 years ago. Wait, 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 wait. wait. No, no, no. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's that kids today have no sophistication. They have low standards, low parenting, or I don't know how you say it, not low parenting, but, you know, not great parenting. And... You know, they're snowflakes with snowplows for parents who... Well, I, I'm thinking more in the vein of the things that they're exposed to. Oh, yeah. They're just inundated with all sorts of things? Yeah, we're kind of saying the same thing. It's just we're coming at it from a different angle. Yeah, I guess. Um, here's another one that's kind of interesting. You know, okay. you're an artist, Josh. It's true. There was uh, there's a little girl over in England, you know, with the COVID thing, everybody's stuck in their house, and they're trying to do a creative type of things, right? Right. So, the, so this mother um, gave uh, to her small children uh, a, um, you know, a, a, a basically art, you know, crayons and sure. paper and what have you, and said, you know, draw a picture of your family or whatever, so... You know, this uh, this this mother, um, when her daughter gave her uh, the picture that she had drawn of the family, uh, there she was with her and her mother and what have you. But 
her mother, uh, she drew in graphic detail, even showing the uh, hair on her legs. <laughs> the, the mommy had not been shaving. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. She it's must good. have been really hairy. Uh, well, you know, uh, European. <laughs> now, don't send me your cards and letters. European women tend to be a little bit more uh, hairy. You know, they don't. They just tend to be a little less shaved. Okay. Okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> I, I, I personally don't understand the double standard that's there between men and women. Like I don't, I don't personally get it. Uh, you mean whether why women have to shave? Yeah, I don't get yeah, it. I, I, it's yeah. Like I, 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 I get something know. like I, I get something like how women like remove mustaches and things like that because, like having that level of testosterone where it produces like a mustache or like some chin hair or whatever, that's not normal to like uh, how society is, right? Like most most of the women physiologically are not gonna produce those things unless they have an imbalance. But that's not the case with like leg hair or arm hair or armpit hair or pubic hair. Like everybody has that. Yeah, and, you're, yeah, and there's something wrong with you. It's a whole nother discussion on grooming and expectations and you know like that i, I yeah, will say it's cultural that when i was uh when i was a child many many years ago i i had a teacher that well let's just say she might have made you a believer in darwin's theory of evolution uh, she was really hairy really hairy wow yeah, yeah so you know, I mean, sometimes things are distracting, but come on. It's not her fault if she has lycanthropy. I did not uh, make fun of her because, as I said, I was a small child. If I was a little older, it might have been tempting. If you were older, you would have made fun of her? Uh, well, yeah, because I was I was uh, an ungenerated little heathen at that point in I my see. life. Well, I think it's a ridiculous double standard, and I don't personally get it. So, yeah, I don't care. I don't Okay. I don't personally care. Well, let's close <laughs> Let's close out this section with uh with uh, there's a shopkeeper there's a shopkeeper in Sydney, Australia that has uh, figured out a way to uh, deal with the uh the toilet paper problem. Okay. So, you know the toilet paper problem is worldwide. It's not just, uh, and I, I don't understand, it's a hoarding thing. But when he put his toilet paper out on the shelves, he put a little sign up that said, uh, your first package of toilet paper was $3 and some odd cents, and the second package was $99.95. Okay. So you... You could get if you bought one package, you were good. But if you bought two packages, uh, that cost you over a hundred dollars for the two of them. Got to make money. You, well, you know what? It, it stopped people from hoarding. They don't. Yeah. They don't. 
come into his shop and do that uh, because, uh, you know, this, it's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. But that's a clever way of him uh, controlling the hoarding mechanism that was going on. Sure. Good for him. All righty. Let's talk about uh, one of our favorite subjects, submission in cultural lunacy. So we have been um, talking about uh, marriage. Uh, you know, whenever I whenever I say that, I'm always tempted to to uh, refer to that uh, that pirate film where the priest is uh, going to perform the marriage. Are you talking about the Princess Bride? I I think so. Have you ever even seen the Princess Bride? Yeah, I have. All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but... you want to do the the bit marriage that that thing? Yeah, marriage, marriage. Okay, so so um, so what we're talking about today? What we talked about last week? What we're talking about today for the next uh, couple minutes here <laughs> will be just a couple minutes. Um, what we're talking about is the issue of submission. Right. The naughty word. So what, what we had talked about foundationally last week is we had talked about the fact that, that God is a God of order and not chaos. Mm -hmm. And so because God is a God of order and not chaos, he has set up structure inside of... Uh, inside of the marriage relationship so that there is not chaos, but that there is an orderly fashion about how it is that the two genders can cohabitate together um, in, a, in a fashion which will bring glory to him um, when they are so uh, diverse in how it is that they're created. Right. We already talked about the fact that men and women are, are created just totally different. Right. And and there's uh and and so understanding God's structure then allows us to be able to take that those differences and see it as a positive thing. There's the author of a book, uh, the book is called um, Incompatibility grounds for a great marriage okay and and he talks about how uh, the differences that exist between he and his wife how it is that they become a strength rather than a negative to the marriage right so in god's design um with this order uh, and structure which is present then what we really have is we have uh, again, in the in the marriage relationship, you have the husband and wife come together, and then their jointly coming together uh, is fulfill it, it's it's evened out by God being in that relationship. So you have a representation of the Trinity, as it were. Yeah. And in God's design, the the husband 
is responsible for the direct communication with God and the direction that the family is to go. And the, the wife is to be in submission to his leadership, according to Scripture. Now, there are right. multiple Scriptures that talk about this. This is not just a, this is not something that, is, that has been dreamed up by uh, chauvinistic males. Yeah, it's not a nuance of Scripture, for sure. There's, it's definitely a narrative uh, truth. Like, it's pro-submission structure, and it's specific in what that looks like. Right. So, so but, what but, we want to do, we're, we're right at about an hour right now. So next week, when we talk about this, we're going to jump right into several passages. So we've got a passage in, uh, in, um, in Peter uh, okay. that we're going to look at. We've got a passage in Titus that we're going to look at, and we've got a passage in uh, in um, uh, Ephesians that we're going to look at. These are these are all different passages which uh, bring up, uh, about that narrative to complement the structure of what God would have for a marriage to be successful uh, amongst two people that are totally incompatible. But God's design is that they might be compatible so that he would be glorified. Right. And I would just say this in ending, um, in ending today in regard to this, this subject, that even though Scripture is very clear that this is God's design, there are, for a multiple of reasons, there are many marriages, uh, both... Christians and non, uh, there are m many marriages. I would, I would, I would dare say, I would go out on a limb, not very far, but I would go out <laughs> on a limb to say that upwards of eighty percent of marriages that exist out there today have issues with this and and do not uh, yield to what Scripture has to say. I think that that's obviously going to be the case because. Well, 100% of people have issues with this in regard to submitting themselves to God. And so if you can't submit yourself to God, you know, it's going to play out in every other area of your life. Absolutely. And what, what's, and, but what this does is, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, is not only does it set the standard for what God would have us to understand, but it also gives structure and with that structure comes responsibility for both the man and the woman inside of the relationship. And if either one of them is not uh, cognizant and, and actively uh, working within the knowledge of that structure, then uh, it begins to break down. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and end today. Uh, with that note, and we will pick that right up and jump into those passages uh, next week. All right. Let's go ahead and close out the show. All right. If you are someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you. 
So check out the Help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to your questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice and insights. So don't be shy. Uh, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABS web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. If you want to be a part of the VRN and what we do here, you can join Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture and Sanity, our kids' shows like Wake Up Cadre and The Bible with Pastor Adam, uh, you can see a little bit behind the scenes of what we do here um, on our show called Life at ABF. You've got our weekly sermons, and you also have Nightlight Radio, uh, which is like a, a talk show, call-in, comment show on um, mental health. So uh, comment on all – and most of those things you can comment and question in real time. And speaking of, we have Nightlight Radio this Thursday night live at 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., and we're always looking for um, topics. So go to our Facebook page and you can find the Jot form where you can fill out an anonymous um, uh, suggestion for what it is that we're going to be talking about that night. Uh, we'll see you then on Thursday. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab. Even a $1 a month donation would be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. And remember, that content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We will see you then. I am Pastor Josh. Your senior pastor over at ABF and engineer, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. <laughs>